0: Hey outliers, welcome to another edition of Cheat Sheet, where each week we can press down six plus hours of research and interviews into just three big ideas. You can listen to those three big ideas in about 15 to 20 minutes in this episode, or you can read them in about five. And if you're interested in getting the newsletter version of Cheat Sheet, you can sign up for that and get it in your inbox completely for free at cheatsheetnewsletter.com. Now, the title of this week's cheat sheet is the secret to eternal life in business. And the firm that we profile this week is worm capital. They're public market investors that are focused on technology, especially disruptive technology. And I first found them, I want to guess, maybe three years ago. And the reason I was so attracted to them, the reason I've loved reading their quarterly updates is because they think very similarly to how I do. They see the world very similarly as an investor. And what I mean by that is, you know, most of my background is in early stage technology companies. I run a venture firm. I spend a lot of time investing in studying, meeting early stage technology companies. And so when I found Worm Capital, to me, everything that they wrote sounded like a venture capitalist, except Worm Capital invests exclusively in public equities. So what I mean by that is they do a lot of research on pre-IPO private companies, but at the end of the day, the only companies they invest in are publicly traded, and they tend to be technology, especially disruptive technology-focused investors, have an incredible track record, they can invest globally, and I just love the way they think. So I'm going to read a little bit of the intro to the email, and I'll add some context and commentary along the way. Worm Capital call themselves value investors focused on the future, and they're one of our favorite technology and disruption investors in the public markets. Since Worm's inception in 2012, they've outperformed the S&P by over 2x net after fees, generating 26.73% per annum versus the S&P's 12.08%. The three big ideas in this week's cheat sheet are number one, markets provide liquidity, businesses generate value, or why the game of business has nothing to do with the stock market. The second one is how to find the best companies in any industry by first observing and then deconstructing inputs and outputs. And the third is the secret to eternal life in business, or why the company that delivers the best customer value proposition consistently always wins. And these three things that we're going to cover this week are a great example of why I love the challenge of doing cheat sheet each week, because... I want to be honest, I struggled with about five or eight different ideas that I wanted to cover. And so identifying these three was enormously difficult. But the kind of mental math that I'm doing when I'm trying to figure out which three ideas to highlight is effectively asking myself the question, if I could only remember three things from all the research and all the time spent interviewing Worm Capital, just for myself, what would those three things be? And then my hope is those things are valuable enough that they're valuable for other people to want to listen to and want to learn. And I think again the whole goal of this is to try to compress down, try to distill down as much knowledge as possible from these interviews into something that you and I can hold on to and keep and carry with us as we go forward. So let's jump into number 1. And the reason that I liked this is because I just think it's very grounding. You know, whenever you're covering a investment firm, such a big part of how they invest is just how they think about the world philosophically. And so this, you know, the more time I spent going through all of the research that I did, almost none of which ended up making it into the interviews. This idea, we actually didn't cover much in the interviews themselves, but I was I was going back and thinking about what to compress. This really stood out to me. And so the principle, again, is markets provide liquidity, businesses generate value, or why the game of business has nothing to do with the stock market. I'm going to read for a bit and I'll add some commentary along the way worm likes to say that the game of business and the stock market have nothing to do with one another as an analogy arnie Olsen, worms founder and chief investment officer says getting excited about the stock market is like getting excited by the ticket office at the kentucky derby the ticket office is where you go to make bids to increase your position or cash in your bets all the real action happens out on the track that's where the race is won And what I love about this is, again, I think, one, the analogy is just beautiful because I think what Arnie is saying here, and we'll get into more of it in just a second, is that, you know, if you have a choice as an investor, you have a finite amount of time that you can spend, you need to be spending as much of that time as possible studying the things that are actually going to determine your success. And in his view, almost none of those things have to do with the stock market. And almost all of them have to do with understanding the businesses that you invested in as deeply as possible. So it should be no surprise that Worm spends 2% of their time on the stock market and 90% of it researching and deconstructing businesses. In their view, the stock market is only where they go to increase or decrease their positions. Outside of that, there's no useful data or information there. Meaning from their perspective, and you know, I'll just add a quick caveat here, There are as many different types of investors as you could possibly imagine. You know, as it's been said many times before, there are many ways up the mountain. And so it's not, you know, Worm's an investor that doesn't focus much on public markets and they don't focus much on the price movement of shares and are doing technical analysis and are doing charting, but there are plenty of investors that do those things and have generated enormously successful track records. So it's not that those things aren't valuable. I think it's just in Worm's perspective, they spend all All of their times obsessing about researching deconstructing trying to understand the industries and businesses that they care about and I love it. I love profiling opinionated investors because I think no matter what your approach is, there's something we can learn from every single type of investor. So continuing in Arnie's thinking, the real action is in the game of business. Arnie says, when I look at business, it just screams game. It's a game of strategy. You have competition between teams. You have enormous stakes, trillions and trillions of dollars. And so how Arnie describes a business, and I love this, is an intense competition that happens one transaction at a time, which revolves entirely around the customer value proposition. And I'm going to do a quick aside in a second. Remember this because this is gonna come up so many other times in this week's episode so much of how worm thinks about businesses and how they compete and who's going to win is through the lens of the customer value proposition. And so this is going to come up many other times today. This is the first time it's surfacing. So just pay attention with each transaction. The customer is making a choice whether to keep their dollars or trade them for a given value proposition. The only way to ensure your survival in business is to deliver the best value proposition to customers. Now, I love this point and that's why I wanted to start with this because I think, you know, for anyone who is interested in, in building a great business or investing in great businesses, we all have to have some sort of view in our mind of how competition between businesses works and how businesses succeed and what that success is dependent upon. And I just thought it was so profound when i am talking with Worm, when going back through their research, how obsessive they are about understanding the value proposition that a business offers to their customers and then understanding their ability to deliver and even over-deliver on that value proposition. And I mean, the logic it makes complete sense to me. And it's because at the end of the day, Any customer's experience with the business is going to be determined by what they were promised and if that was delivered. And then if they go to there consistently, how consistently that's delivered. And when I think about my experience with a company like Apple, or there are plenty of things that I could nitpick at, but overall they've done an incredible job of having great, you know, value to offer customers in the newest versions of their products and their ability to just continuing to deliver more value and doing that incredibly, incredibly consistently. Worm views competition between companies as a massive game of strategy. Take Home Depot and Lowe's. At the end of the day, these are simply different teams competing against one another to win over and retain as many customers as possible. And at the heart of that competition lies the value proposition each company can make and deliver to their customers. Ultimately, the best value proposition wins out. And what matters isn't what companies promise, but what they can promise and deliver consistently. And I italicize those words in the newsletter. I think promise and deliver consistently Each of those words is incredibly important. It's not just what you promise. It's not just what you deliver. It's what you promise and then what you deliver. And I think the best companies, you know, as I was thinking about this actually over deliver, meaning it's, you know, when I say yes to a value proposition and I show up and give them my money, I don't just get the basics of what they were offered. I get something that makes me excited about what I purchased. And so when I think about that, I think it's actually over delivering on that value proposition. So again, in Worm's view, the best companies are the ones that can promise and deliver the best value proposition to customers consistently. The other thing that I love about this is it just cuts through all the bullshit and noise. And what I mean by that is there are so many things that people tell you are important in a business. It's about the execution. It's about pricing. It's about network effects. And all of that is great, but I think those are things that you can use to kind of explain and deconstruct a little bit of a company's success. But at the end of the day, every great company has an incredible product, at least companies that don't get their customers through regulatory capture. So companies that are literally competing for customers, they have to offer a great product. And what that really is at the end of the day is a value proposition to customers. So they're saying, here's the price. If you get it, this is what it's going to do. And then their ability to deliver on that and deliver on it consistently. And if they can do that over time, businesses can grow incredibly large. They can win out in their spaces and they can stay in business for decades, you know, even 50 or hundred plus years. And when I was thinking about the best businesses, meaning another thing that I'm doing at this moment in time is studying companies that have been around for 100 plus years. You know, I have a portfolio that I run called the Heritage Fund and what we look for are incredibly durable companies. And these typically are companies, a lot of them are located in Europe that have been around 50 plus years. And so I kind of have that book and what I'm learning there going through my mind as I was preparing everything for this week's episode. And when you study really old companies and you think about why they've been able to be successful for so long, they have an incredible value proposition and they have honestly very unique moats, meaning typically they're the player or the best player in their space and the reason they've been so successful for so many years is because they've been able to do that consistently for decades so again i think this is just uh it cuts through the noise and it gives you a very 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 easy way to think about what success in business is dependent upon and it's dependent upon what you can promise to your customers and what you can deliver consistently okay moving on that's how you build value in a business so worm's job is to find companies that can do just that knowing that if they own a piece of fabulous businesses, that this should be reflected in the stock price. Now we're going to move on to point number two. And this, you know, we go in a totally different perspective here. But one of the things that I loved, and this is actually covered in the 20 minute playbook episode with Eric Markowitz, who's Worm's head of research, was Worm's two step research process. And we're going to go into that here. I think it's, there's not anything groundbreaking about it, but I think the way they've described it, the way they've broken it apart, and the way that they've put this together, I think is just brilliant. And part of it, and I didn't include this in the newsletter, but part of it, you know, something that Eric and I talked a lot about in his interview is how do you prevent bad research? So Worm, clearly, we said this at the beginning, they spend 2% of their time trading, kind of thinking about how companies are performing in the stock market, and they spent 98% of their time on companies. And so if they're spending 98% of that time doing research, there's clearly two things they need to know. One is what's our process for doing great research? And the second thing is what are the guardrails that we have in place to prevent bad research? And so, so much of what I love about step one and step two here is that it's a great way of getting good research, I think, and it's a great way of preventing bad research. So let's talk about it. So this is a framework and how I describe it is how to find the best companies in any industry. First observe, then deconstruct inputs and outputs. One of my favorite things about Worm capital is that they run an incredibly concentrated portfolio. So they typically hold between four and 12 positions and they know in painstaking detail how each of these businesses work, why they work and why they are the right team to bet on in a space. We're going to come back to this later. We're going to talk about Tesla for a second, but they've been investors in Tesla since Tesla was very unsexy in 2017. And when we were doing this interview, one of the things we talked about was all the research they've done into Tesla's neural net, meaning this kind of neural network that powers all of their self-driving technology and all of their AI. And the amount of detail that they knew, they literally had one person on the team that was basically dedicated to understanding as much as possible about Tesla's neural net because this is a big position for them. And you know, they were looking specifically at the neural net because they think that's going to drive a lot of value over time. And so again, just they have a very concentrated portfolio. I always respect investors that can do that. And they know each of these positions in painstaking detail, just incredible detail. In addition, they also track another 200 companies across public and private markets, which they use as a sort of map of what industries they need to be studying. They're constantly refreshing their knowledge of industries and learning new ones to find the one player to bet on within a given space, which has given them superhuman powers of being able to quickly understand a market or industry and deconstruct how businesses work from top to bottom. Just a quick note on this. I mean, basically what Worm has to do in order to be able to, you know, track 200 plus companies, understand a number of industries, and then be able to zoom into an industry and pick the one company that they think will win over time in that industry is they have to be really good at two things. They have to be really good at basically breaking apart an industry and understanding at a high level and understanding The companies that are in it and how these companies compete, where the value is, where the best businesses are. And then they also have to be able to basically deconstruct a business. And so these are two very different skill sets, but these are covered in step one and step two. So they have a two step research process for doing this that I found just fascinating. And they call this research process step one, they call the Jane Goodall approach, which is just a fantastic name. And step two, another fantastic name, Elon Musk, the engineer. So let's get into what these are. Step one, the Jane Goodall approach. As Eric Markowitz, Worm's head of research, describes it, step one is what we call the Jane Goodall approach, which is you plant yourself on the hillside and you just watch the chimpanzees. You don't have any opinions. You're not allowed to have opinions yet. You just watch them, take notes, and see how they interact with each other. In Worm's view, when studying an industry or company, you always have to start from a blank sheet. No opinions, no point of view, just open, curious, and observant. That's how you prevent early errors in judgment. And I'm going to you know double click on this in just a second. But again, what, what are we talking about here? We're talking about a framework for doing good research and guardrails to prevent bad research. And so I thought this was just fascinating. And you know I'm kind of summarizing it. I'll summarize it here in a second. But Eric's view is basically that for a lot of people, as soon as they start trying to break apart an in, in industry or trying to identify companies, they start from opinion. And so they already have preconceived ideas of what's going to be best. And Eric's point is just you can't do that the first thing you need to do is just observe and so what they try to do is if they're picking an industry that they want to learn they're literally doing that so they're trying to just say what are all the companies that are in this universe and then they're just watching them they're watching news they're watching product releases they're watching how companies interact with one another they're watching how pricing works and all that they're doing here is just getting you know it's almost like if you think about this in a camera analogy so i meaning you know a cinematographer someone who's filming a movie set in step one, they're using a wide angle. They're just trying to take in as much information as possible, get context and understand the broad brushstrokes of how an industry works. And then step two is all about doing the super tight shot and getting into the details. So we'll go back to the newsletter. Eric says, there's a big difference between conviction and opinions. Conviction is great. Opinions are really bad because opinions are what really screw you up. The first step is just raw data collection, sketching out quite literally all the different companies in an industry. It's about starting fresh, being intentionally naive and open-minded in order to allow yourself to develop deep conviction. So again, step one, you're Jane Goodall. You just plant yourself on a hillside. And in this case, you're watching an industry and the chimpanzees are just a bunch of of different businesses. And all you're doing is you're just watching what's happening and you're trying to take it in. And so you're, you're trying to not have any opinions to give yourself the time to just watch and learn and develop a little bit of context before you dive deeper step two is elon musk the engineer if the jane goodall approach is all about understanding the broader context elon musk the engineer is about taking things apart and putting them back together to understand how they work it's the engineering phase of the research process as eric markowitz says once we've sort of identified the dynamics of the industry we spend as much time as possible understanding how products are made taking something like amazon we ask how does a seller system work how do the actual platform dynamics work who makes money what percentage and so here again i think the most important thing and that's why I love just the the naming here is imagine Elon Musk the engineer He's trying to figure out a very difficult problem. And so he has to take it apart as if it's some sort of machine to try to identify the inputs and the outputs. And so you're really, I think, you know, one, you're no longer trying to just take in the high-level details. You're trying to get into the trenches of the business. You're trying to understand how the sausage is made, the trade-offs that are being made, and what you're really trying to get to, again, why are you doing all this? Why are you doing broad brushstrokes on an industry? And then why are you deconstructing businesses? Because your goal, in order to make the best investment Again, using this worm's view of the world is it is all around the customer value proposition. And so they're trying to understand you know, what's the current reality within the industry? What companies should we be studying? And then what they're really trying to get at is which companies are going to be able to deliver the best customer value proposition today and tomorrow. And we'll get into the tomorrow bit of that question in just a second. But again, that's what we're trying to do here. So all of this inputs and outputs is to try to figure out who can deliver the best value proposition to customers. It's all about demystifying a business, breaking it down as if it was a mechanical machine. It's about understanding the inputs and the outputs so you can identify which ones truly matter. It has nothing to do with understanding how much a company like Amazon will make this quarter. That insight has a very short shelf life. Instead, Worm wants to understand the nitty gritty details of how the business works and why it works, which is an insight that has a much longer shelf life. So that's number two. That's Worm's two-step research process. And again, step one, the Jane Goodall approach. You're just observing, you're taking it in, not allowed to have any opinions. You're just gathering data. And then step two, you're diving into the weeds and you're trying to take apart a business as if it was a machine to understand the inputs and outputs. So now we're going to move on to the third piece of this week's cheat sheet, and it's a principle. And that principle is the secret to eternal life in business or why the company that delivers the best customer value proposition consistently always wins. So, you know, one of the questions I was asking myself coming out of these interviews is what is Worm's secret? They've been doing this for 10 years. They have 2x outperformance. What is their secret for picking the best company in in any industry? And again, this goes back to what we said at the beginning, this idea that all of competition and who ultimately will win In Any given space or any given industry is about value proposition. It's who can make the best value proposition to customers and who can deliver on that and who can do it today and who can do it tomorrow. And these are very different things. So the answer is startling. They just look for the company that can create and deliver the best value proposition to customers consistently. Because ultimately, Worm believes that business is a fierce competition between customers that is one transaction at a time. And I think that's another really helpful thing about their framework is they get rid of these, you know, jargony ideas and, and very big bloated ideas and they just say, Business is a competition. It's one, one transaction at a time. And yes, you might want to look at a very large business like Amazon or Apple or Starbucks or saying "Nah, one transaction at a time isn't really what it's at, but that's true. And this is why, again, very large companies can be toppled. You know, startups can come in and topple entrenched players. That's why the S&P 500 sees so much turnover from decade to decade, because ultimately the best value proposition delivered consistently wins given enough time. What's challenging isn't finding the company with the best value proposition today it's finding the company that will deliver the best value proposition of tomorrow to do that worm looks for companies building the infrastructure today to deliver the best value proposition to customers tomorrow now this i loved it took me an enormous amount of time to try to articulate this idea because it's both very simple and very profound. But again, so what's, what are, what is Worm looking for? They're looking for companies building the infrastructure today to deliver the best value proposition to customers tomorrow. Just think about that for a second. It turns out that this is a lot harder to spot because that looks like an online bookseller investing millions to build out a new, entirely untested developer services business, which would eventually become Amazon Web Services, or AWS. It looks like an electric car manufacturer burning billions, building factories, batteries, and technologies required to deliver not just a few cars, or hundreds of cars, or thousands of cars, but hundreds of thousands of Tesla Model S, Model 3, Model X, Model Y vehicles to customers each quarter it's a company whose mission is to bring people closer every day investing 15 plus billion per year into their vision of the metaverse where they've had no real success to date have burned over 50 billion so far and plan to continue doing so in the face of an impending recession so again You know, just to recap, what am I trying to point out here? So, I think what's so difficult about what worms looking for, and again, this goes back to why I just have an enormous amount of respect for them, is it's very similar to what you're doing as a venture investor. As a venture investor, especially if you're doing, if you're investing early stage, you're dealing with pure potential. And what I mean by that is, You know, as I was thinking about this, one thing that came to mind was the analogy of an Olympic gymnast and focusing on someone that hasn't won any medals yet, doesn't have any endorsement deals. So they've got no medals, no money coming in, no income. And here they are spending all of their time, spending all of their money, spending all of their energy and effort practicing their sport what are they doing? They're doing exactly what we're just talking about. They're focused on building the skills, the infrastructure today, so that tomorrow or when the next Olympic comes, they can win the gold medal and they can be able to get endorsement deals. But in order to do that, you first have to start from where you are today. And you have to, and to deliver something of value, you have to actually have to invest a lot in it. This is easy to do when you're in the private markets. This is very difficult to do when you're in the public markets because you just get an enormous amount of pushback from customers on what are you doing. And Yet. If you zoom in to how does any business create large and enduring value, it is exactly this. It's this idea that I'm going to invest and effectively burn a bunch of money today because I believe in this future possibility. And if I do that right, if I thread that needle, then I'm going to have something that's incredibly valuable. And so again, the examples here are Amazon is a public company. They're focused on selling books, but they're investing in you know, millions of dollars. They have an entire team that's developing a completely untested business, which is developer service. And yet today, Amazon Web Services or AWS owns 33%, so more than a third of the market here. Just an incredibly valuable business. It's Tesla, you know, burning billions and getting so much scrutiny because they're saying our goal isn't just to deliver a few cars. Our goal is to deliver cars in mass. We wanna be the electric car manufacturer that can deliver hundreds of thousands of vehicles every single quarter. And then the last one is unproven. So Facebook is, you know, still, promising to invest 15 plus billion per year into their vision of the metaverse. Will that play out? Time will tell. But I I wanted to identify, this is something that's happening right now. They're getting an enormous amount of scrutiny for doing this. And yet they think Mark Zuckerberg thinks that this is going to be a very lucrative business down the road. And so this is a current example of exactly what we're talking about here. All of these were widely mocked and ridiculed because they were investing ahead of demand. They were building the infrastructure today to deliver the best value proposition to customers tomorrow. Worm's ability to see through this fog of war during the heavy capital allocation phase and see the potential of what's being built has been their key to success. As an example of this, they've been investors in Tesla since early 2017, when they came to the conclusion that Tesla could design, engineer, manufacture, market, and deliver the world's best electric for cars, the type that consumers actually wanted to own and drive. And just to underline this, I very intentionally listed all of those things that Tesla had to be able to do, because again, it just goes back to this idea. You can't just design something. You can't have a concept car and promise that to customers. And you're never able to deliver that. That is not a way to build a business. You might have an initial spike of interest. You might get a bunch of reservations. You're not going to build a large durable company that way, and you're definitely not going to win the market. And so, you know, this goes back to something I've talked about a a lot on outlier academy which is that the world's most successful businesses are successful because they exist in a superposition they're good at everything they're good at all phases of what they do which is why they're so hard to compete with so again it wasn't just saying i think tesla is going to make some interesting cars or oh man this this concept car that they have looks great and consumers are really interested worm dug deep into the weeds they went and visited their manufacturing facilities they went and spent time with management team to make sure that tesla could design engineer manufacture market and deliver the world's best electric car, the type that consumers actually wanted to own and drive. And in the newsletter, I actually show a price chart. You know, I think it's helpful here because Tesla is a polarizing example, in the last two years, since really 2020, the price has exploded and, you know, there's an enormous amount of debate over whether Elon Musk is a con man or whether he's actually able to deliver. But I think it's important, like that's not what Tesla was in 2017. In 2017, Tesla was, you know, you can see this, you can go to Google Finance or go to your favorite stock app, type in TSLA, look at the price chart over the entire time that Tesla has been publicly traded. And what you'll effectively see is from the time it came to market to right around I think it was late 2019 early 2020 it traded in a very narrow range it was basically between 0 and say $25 maybe $30 and then it's exploded in price but you know in 2017 when worm decided to invest they did that in the middle of this really difficult trough and what i mean by trough is a lot of people try to describe something, you're gonna have to visualize it. You know, a lot of people, when they think of what a successful business looks like, they think about a stock chart. And so it's this jagged chart that goes from the bottom left-hand corner up to the top right corner. And it's this kind of linear, nice, progression. And in startups, you know, it maybe looks more like an S curve. A lot of people talk about it like a hockey stick, but it's effectively this idea that you're starting from nothing and you're just accruing value over time. In my experience, building companies, investing in companies, the experience is actually very different. And the chart that I would draw effectively starts at zero and then dips down negative and forms a trough. And then only if you're successful, do you ever get out of the trough, get back to zero and actually build value in the business. And what do I mean by that? I mean, any company you end up raising money, you then effectively burn that money to invest it into your capability to deliver something to customers. So that's why you're not adding value yet. You've actually just burned something. There's not durable value there. You're in the middle of creating value. So you've actually gone below the zero line. You've burned a bunch of capital. You've invested it and you don't have anything to show for it just yet. And your goal is to get out of that trough. The trough's very difficult, but again, what does that trough look like? It's Tesla burning billions, building factories, batteries, and technology, and then only if they do that well are they able to actually deliver cars in mass, to have a successful business and be valued at what they are today. And so I think the stock chart for Tesla is amazing, but again, this idea that Worm was able in 2017... To invest in the middle of this trough and then hold on to Tesla since then, I think is very admirable. In 2017, Tesla traded between a price range of $14.06 and $25.97. Tesla continued to trade in that range until late 2019, a full two years later. So, again, very much like early stage investors, a lot of public market investors judge their success quarter by quarter you know maybe a long holding for them is over over a year because they want to get long-term capital gains treatment but it doesn't tend to be years and years and years and it definitely doesn't tend to be two years until they start to see the movement in the business and the share price that they'd like to see so again worm made this investment in 2017. Tesla was trading in a very unsexy range before any of this explosion in price. And that lasted for a full two years after they made this initial investment, after which time it exploded in price. And today Tesla still trades above $200 per share worm's ability to invest deep in tesla's cash burning trough gain conviction to own it in size and maintain that conviction through volatility through the volatility we've seen is impressive worm came to this conclusion years before other investors did and years before tesla ever became a meme stock eternal life in business is granted to those who can make the most compelling value proposition to customers and then deliver on it day after day transaction after transaction so again The big idea, I don't want to belabor it, but I'll just make it one more time, is that business is an immense competition. It happens one transaction at a time And actually that competition is very easy to understand because it revolves around something that we can all see and we can all experience, which is a company's value proposition to a customer. So it's what they're promising customers. You know, how, how can you tell what they're promising customers? Watch the ads. You know, if it's a company that's advertising, go and watch their ads, go and look at their print ads or their display ads, go to their marketing site and see what they're promising to customers. So it's based off that. What are they able to create? How well are they able to market it? All of that's involved in the promise they're making to customers and then really where the rubber hits the road is their ability to deliver on that promise and not just deliver on it once or deliver on it in a spotty way where sometimes it's a great experience and sometimes it's a terrible experience but deliver on it in a way where nine out of ten times ten out of ten times within that range it's a fantastic experience and so it's all about the value proposition It's about the company's ability to make a compelling promise and deliver on it again. And so just to close out, you know, Eric Markowitz, Worms head of research, likes to say we can stomach quote risk. We can't stomach business risk. We think the much bigger risk lies in owning companies that can't deliver an incredible value proposition to customers. If you're interested, again, you can sign up for Cheat Sheet. It's completely free. It's a newsletter we send out once per week at cheat com. And in this newsletter, so we, you know, the, the, what we've been talking about today is the secret to eternal life in business. You can find that at dot com slash P slash the dash secret dash two dash eternal, dash life, dash in, dash business. Sorry to do that, but if you want to type it up really quickly, you will be able to do that. And that is this week's cheat sheet.